And if you say, man, I wish I was that dad, I wish that was my story, well, hey, we can all change today and start writing a new story. None of us can go back and create new beginnings. I wish we could. But all of us can start today and create new endings, and that's the opportunity ahead of us. Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 7. As we continue our study through the book of Exodus, we're studying the life of a man by the name of Moses. We see that Moses and the nation of Israel are literally led by God. They're literally led by fire. When we come to Exodus chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, honestly, if I were to pick a passage to teach on on a Father's Day, it would not be this text. But here at Central, we, for the most part, throughout the calendar year, just go what the Bible says, verse by verse through it, unpack it, see what God has to say and how it might apply to our life. And one of the realities of Scripture is that God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. But a reality of Scripture is that God is also a God of judgment. And God would a million times over rather people turn to him Would a million times over rather everyone here in this room uh, turn to him and have God's hand of favor and blessing upon our life that we could experience the abundant life that really God has for you and for me? But we have a part to play in that. Scripture is clear. God does not take any delight in the death of the wicked. And today we come to one of the most fearsome, most awesome passages in all the Bible, a section of Scripture where we see God displaying judgment on an hard-hearted individual. So the title of this message is Heartaches for the Hard-Hearted. Before we jump into the plagues, we're gonna be looking at the, the plagues that God uses to let the nation of Israel go. Ultimately, it's a rescue mission for God's people. Uh, But as a backdrop, I just want to make three observations. If you're taking notes, this is where they begin. Uh, The plagues were predicted and planned by God. They were not an afterthought. We see it in Exodus chapter 3, before Moses ever goes to Egypt, before Moses ever has a conversation with Pharaoh, God says this in 319, but I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it, and after that, he will let you go. In other words, Pharaoh's decision to harden his heart was not a surprise by God. It was not an action that caught God off guard. Second observation I want to make is that God's working in your life, God's working in my life, will either harden your heart or soften your heart, depending on how you respond. On one hand, when it comes to this topic, there's a school of theologians, a lot of smart people that I have a whole lot of respect for, known as as Calvinistic theologians. And and Calvinist circles of, of thought would say that when it comes to this passage, it just highlights that God hardens some people's heart and he softens some people's heart. Uh, that God chooses some people for wrath and some people for salvation. And I would present to you and suggest that God desires for everyone to know him. God desires for all men, all women, all boys, all girls to come to this saving relationship with God where they experience God's best for, for their lives. He doesn't want anyone to experience judgment. But whenever it comes to God's activity in our life, you and I have a part to play. And our our response to God's activity in our life will either soften our hearts or harden our hearts. And this passage that we're going to look at today vividly underscores that reality. Let's look at it in Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, just to highlight this reality. And uh, Exodus 7, 14 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Now, why is Pharaoh's heart hardened? He refuses to let my people go. 
Throughout these nine plagues we're going to look at today, time and time again, God gives us clear directive, let my people go that they may serve me. And in that moment, Pharaoh has an opportunity to respond and say, yes, God, I hear you. I'll do what you're asking me to do or say no. Either response is it's going to soften his heart or harden Pharaoh's heart. And today, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, at any point a person says, God, I know what you're asking me to do. I understand what the scriptures say. I know the Bible says that, but I'm not going to do that. I would just submit to you that is a very serious decision. We live in a day and age where we value our independence. We value our, our self-will. We, we do what we want, when we want, how we want. We can become very selective in our obedience to God. And I think if that's where you're at, I think it's healthy just to acknowledge that, but also know that that's a very dangerous place to stay. Christianity is not an obedience-optional religion. The reality is either Jesus is Lord, in other words, like he's the boss, that's what Lord means, like, like he's the CEO of my life and he's calling the shots, or he's not. I think that's why over and over we see throughout the Bible this plea, this really appeal that says, today if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. In Hebrews chapters uh, uh, 3 and 4, we see this repeated four times, just two chapters. Here's what the book of Hebrews 3.8 says. It says, don't harden your hearts. It goes on to say, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It goes on to say, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. In other words, you have a role to play in this. I have a role to play in this. Don't harden your hearts today if you hear his voice. Now, how, how do we not harden our hearts? We, we, we maintain soft hearts. You might say, well, what does it have to do with being people who are led by fire? I think the way that we maintain tender hearts towards God is really two things. One, spending time in his presence, just praying, talking to God, reading his word. And the other is obedience. There's something about being obedient to God, even whenever we're not sure about it, even when we don't really want to sometimes, that has a way of, of tenderizing our hearts and that decision to say yes or to say no is a very, very serious decision. Exodus chapter two, uh, 7, 22, let's look at it. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. Now, why did it remain hardened? He would not listen to them, as the Lord said. Exodus eight fifteen. 15, uh, but Pharaoh saw that there was a respite. And, and in other words, he got a break. And how many of you, there's like plagues going on. There's the bad things happening. And how many of you, like, maybe you've been there, I've been there, like, times are tough, I feel like I'm in a jam, like, like, grandpa got sick, or like, I lost my job, whatever the case may be, and I'm like, God, you got to help me, and then I get a breather from that, and then I just go back to doing whatever I, I want to do. So that's what Pharaoh's doing, he gets a break from the plagues, and then he hardens his heart, he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Goes on to say in chapter 9, it says, then Pharaoh's heart uh, he hardened his heart. So Pharaoh hardens his heart this time also, would not let the people go. Again, Pharaoh hardened his heart. His heart was hard. And then again in chapter 935, the heart of Pharaoh remained hardened. So chapter 7, 8, and 9, time and time again, we see God giving clear directive. We see Mo, uh, Pharaoh choosing to deliberately disobey. And what's the outcome? He has a hard heart. He has a calloused heart. Now let's look at it in chapter 10. 
It shifts, and from Pharaoh hardened his heart, now it says, the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, I have hardened his heart. You might say, well, what's up with that? Is it Pharaoh hardening his heart, or is it God hardening Pharaoh's heart? Well, on one hand, it is Pharaoh, because God's involved in his life, God's speaking to him, and Pharaoh's deliberately making a choice to disobey what God's asked him to do. On the other hand, because God has taken initiative to speak to Pharaoh, through Moses and Aaron, he's given him clear direction that Pharaoh can accept or reject. In that sense, this is God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Chapter 10, verse 20, again, it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then Exodus eleven ten, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart by doing a work in his life. Pharaoh hardened his own heart by choosing how he responds. And so I would just submit to you based on that, whenever you hear God's word, when you know God is speaking to you, the way you respond in that moment is a very, very serious decision that will either lead to your heart growing more tender and sensitive to God's activity in your life, or we get calluses over our heart. It becomes harder and harder to hear. The third observation before we jump in is that each of the 10 plagues touched all of the Egyptians, which underscores for us that your decisions, my decisions, for better or worse, the good decisions I make, the bad decisions I make, they impact a whole lot more people than just me. We also see in the plagues that there is an increasing severity in all of them, which I think highlights God's love, his mercy, his grace, that even in judgment, God is gracious. As we go through this text, I'd like for you to look at these plagues through two lenses. Uh, the first lens is this, and I think this is very encouraging. It's a reminder to us that God will do anything to rescue his people. The whole purpose behind these plagues is to let my people go. If at any point Pharaoh says, yes, they can go free, all the plagues come to a screeching halt. It reminds us, reminds you, reminds me that your freedom is of utmost importance to God. He values you. He, he desires for you to live a life of freedom, freedom from sin's deceitfulness and captivity. A second observation, I think that as we look at these plagues, it should produce in us a healthy reverence for God. A reverence knowing that he is God, he does big things. When he speaks, we're wise to listen. Some people might say, well, I don't think it's right. I don't think we should fear God. And I would say, on one hand, I agree. Uh, in that sense, scripture is clear that God is our loving heavenly father, that God is a friend that sticks closer than any brother. On the other hand, he is God. And whenever God gives us specific instructions and we choose to reject it, I think that is a very fearful thing. Uh, Jesus himself, right? Jesus knew God the Father pretty well. Here's what he said in Luke 12. He says, I'll tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So with that as a backdrop, let's jump to the plagues, Exodus chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 is where we'll be today. And so if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. Uh, let's go ahead and stand as we look at the first plague. The first plague is turning water into blood. Exodus chapter 16, 
uh, sorry, 7, verse 16 says, And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me, saying, Let my people go. You're going to see that over and over and over. And every single one, very clear direction, uh, very clear instruction. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, the staff that is in your hand, you'll use it to strike the water of the Nile, and it shall turn to Blood. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is a very serious thing. This is a very sh- this first plague is a shocking thing. The Nile River was the heart of Egypt. Most people at this time in Egypt live around the Nile River. Their food comes from the Nile River. Their water supply is the Nile River. The Nile was what they used for cleansing. What they used for cooking. And so to strike the Nile River would be to strike the economy of Egypt and life itself. Exodus chapter 7 verse 20 says, So Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff and he struck the water of the Nile. And all the water of the Nile turned to blood. And the fish in the Nile died. The Nile stank. So all the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Can you imagine this? At this time, water, like, they don't have 50,000 flavors of Gatorade. Uh, they don't have, like, those super rocket Coke machines where you get every flavor you want. Uh, like, like, water was it. And so to strike the Nile w- would be to strike their livelihood, to strike not only their livelihood, but life, life itself. They can't go to Costco and buy water. And for seven full days, the Nile River is turned to blood. Chapter 7, verse 22, But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord commanded. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. This is interesting to me. It highlights for us that the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. It instructs us that, yes, there are spiritual forces of good in our world. God is active. Angels have power. But there is a very real enemy of your soul and mine. And by dark arts, they can perform some supernatural things as well. And that's what the magicians do. But I also want you to note that uh, they, they can turn water into blood, but they can't turn the blood of the Nile back into water. And so the enemy can always counterfeit God's miracles, but he can't, he can't counteract them. Like, like, what good is it to turn, when you need water, what good is it to turn more water into more blood? Like, like it's, and I think that's true of the enemy. Like, he's, he's happy to pile on your misery. He's happy to pile on the thing that's causing you the most dysfunction and dis- discomfort, but he's never going to bring a healthy solution. It tells us that Satan would love to replicate and deceive many. We're going to see this in the second plague too, the plague of frogs. Exodus chapter 7, verse 25. Seven full days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Again and again, this is what the Lord says. And if at any point Pharaoh says, hey, uncle, like the, the, the fish along the banks are stinking, the whole city smells like death, like I think I'm out. If he taps out at this point, all the plagues stop. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague your entire country with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs. They shall come up into your homes, into your bedrooms, onto your bed, into your houses, the houses of your servants and all your people and your ovens and your kneading troughs. Can you imagine this? This is awful. Like you go to fire up the smoker for Father's Day and you got like frogs pouring out. You go to like... 
get some Tupperware and you got frogs in the, in, the, in the microwave. Like you're in bed at night trying to sleep. You got frogs jumping on your face. Like what is going on? Verse 8, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron, plead with the Lord. Now, now this is, he uses the name, this is Yahweh. It's interesting, Richard did such a great job last week in the message, and he mentioned this in, in chapter 5 that Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? Like, I don't know him. Why, why should I listen to him? And now in chapter 8, he's calling him by name. There's something about heartache. There's something about hard times that awakens a watching world to the reality of who God is. That's what's happening to Pharaoh. Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people. I will let the people go and sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and your servants and your people that the frogs may be cut off from your house and only be left in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow. Like, Another night of frogs in my face, please. Another night of frogs in my barbecue grill. Another night with the frogs would be great. Do it tomorrow, which only highlights for us the danger of having a hard heart. We can come to this place where we're no longer thinking clearly. We're no longer thinking logically. Tomorrow. And before we're too hard on Pharaoh, we can say the same thing, right? I know, God, I should quit that habit, but I think... I think I'm going to do that tomorrow. I know, I know like, all right, the body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. I know I should eat. I, I, I'm, I'm going to do it tomorrow, though, right? I know I should get close to God. I know I should be reading the Bible. I know, God, you want relationship, and that requires me to talk to you. But I'm busy today, so how about, how about tomorrow? We can all do that in our life, if we're honest. Chapter 8, verse 13. And the Lord did, according to the word of Moses... The frogs died out of the houses, the courtyards, and the fields. Now think about this. Like, my kids get grossed out when I cook fish in the house. And now you got dead frogs in the house. I don't know if you've ever, like, boiled real Easter eggs, like, like hard-boiled eggs and hid them, only to find, like, a month later you missed one. That's this. Like, there's dead frogs in the house. There's dead frogs in the bedroom. There's dead frogs in the fields. There's piles of frogs throughout Egypt. But yet Pharaoh's heart remains hard and does not do what God asks. Third plague, the flies and the gnats. Gnats are lice is what we believe this to be. Most scholars actually believe these are mosquitoes. Uh, so I don't know. We're, we're pretty great here in uh, California when it comes to mosquitoes. But you, you hang out in Alabama very long, you're going to be like, whoa, this is a serious, this is a serious plague. Uh, chapter 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to uh, Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Again, most think it's lice or mosquitoes, all of which would be miserable. So whichever one it is, uh, it's, it's pretty awful. Verse 17, and they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand and his staff and he struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried with their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. This is the first time that these uh, pagan magicians or magi, uh, these advisors to king, the Pharaoh, uh, cannot reproduce uh, this, this divine act. So the gnats were on man and beast. The magician said to Pharaoh, check this out, this is the finger of God. So now these pagan advisors 
are now going to Pharaoh and saying, hey, you're up against something much bigger than any of us. We've not seen anything like this. And I love how they say, this isn't like the hand of God. This is the fist of God. This is the full weight of God. This is like his pinky. He's saying, hey, Pharaoh, like it's time to bend the knee or things are going to get worse. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. These are very hard lessons on having a hard heart because these plagues are not only impacting Pharaoh, these are impacting the people that Pharaoh loves the most, the people that are closest to him and the entire nation of Egypt. Fourth plague, the plague of flies. Chapter 8, verse 21, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you, your servants, your people, into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies so that the ground on which you stand on will be, it'll be covered. But on that day, I will stretch out my hand. Uh, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. This is interesting. The next six plagues only impact the Egyptians. Goshen, is the, it's in Egypt, but it's the district where God's people live. These are where the, the Israelites, the Hebrews live. And so God now distinguishes in the plagues, these are my people, e Egyptians, you got to let my people go. And he does that by creating a border of where the plagues start and cease. There came great swarms of flies into the houses of Pharaoh and onto his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Now think about this. The first plague, God struck the Nile River. So you have blood that wiped out all the fish population. If you've ever been on a riverbank and you've seen a rotting fish, like they don't smell great. But, but now you have thousands and perhaps millions of rotting fish. The whole land of Egypt stinks. Houses are built along the Nile River. Then you have rotting frogs throughout the land. Now people are literally covered in mosquito bites, itching, scratching, or if it's lice, it's, it's miserable. Uh, I have a buddy who lives in, in Florida, and he, he leases some hunting property across the, the, the Florida line into Alabama. And I went out there, and we, went, we were deer hunting. In February in Alabama, it's different than the Midwest, different than out here. It's cold in, in, in Missouri in, in February. But in Alabama, it was like 85 degrees with 1,000% humidity. And so I have on, like, hunting boots, and so they come up to here. But I'm like, I guess I'll wear shorts to hunt. Like, this feels super weird. Uh, so my kneecaps are exposed right? Everything else is covered. When I got home, I counted 76 mosquito bites on my knees. Now, what we read here is a million times worse. The land is covered with mosquitoes. Chapter 8, verse 28. So Pharaoh said, I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must go, not, not go very far. Plead with the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and his servants from the people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. It would not let the people go. Fifth plague, death of livestock. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go. Again, 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 he's warning them that they may serve me. If you refuse to let them go, but still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall on you with a severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field. 
the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. I think it's an interesting distinction. He, he highlights this is going to be happening on the livestock, the animals that are in the field. Uh, we're going to see it in the next, the next week that Pharaoh still has chariots and horses. Uh, so these are the livestock that are outside, not the ones in barns. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Pharaoh sent men to investigate, and behold... Not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh remained hardened, and he would not let the people go. When God is speaking and God is talking to you about something in your life, to say no to that, to harden your heart to that is a very serious decision. The sixth plague boils. Uh, Most scholars believe this is skin anthrax. And you say, well, why do you think it's skin anthrax? Uh, I would say God often uses natural means to accomplish supernatural effects. New York State Department of Health reported in this article, it said, the infection occurs, talking about skin anthrax, when bacteria enters a, a cut or a scratch on the skin. And what was the most recent, or two plagues ago, was mosquitoes, right? So, or lice, whatever the case, they're itching. And so they got open, open sores on their body. Most cutaceous skin anthrax occurs when people touch animal products like wool, bone, hair, or hide. And it comes, it comes from an animal that died of, of anthrax. So perhaps the plague of livestock was these, these, this livestock being wiped out by anthrax. Now as the people of Egypt are going to clean up this, the, all the, the dead animals, they're carrying these animals. And because they have these open sores, they're now getting these boils. They're now getting skin anthrax. Look at it in chapter 9, verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, take a handful of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw it into the air in the sight of Pharaoh. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it into the air and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians did not stand before Moses because of the boils. And the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. So the land is now devastated. The people of Egypt are absolutely miserable. Chapter 9, verse 12, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So again, Pharaoh digs in. He's not listening to God. He is ignoring what God's asked him to do. I, I got a couple of pictures here, actually. Uh, here's what skin anthrax looks like. Um, pretty painful. Um, but by, this is tame, by the way. Uh, if you, like, Dr. Pimple Popper's your thing, like you enjoy that show, uh, just Google skin anthrax, and it's plenty for you to lose your lunch over. Uh, this next one, the little hand action. Not great. So this is happening. Pharaoh sees this. This is on Pharaoh. This is on the, 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 his advisors. This is on his, his servants. This is on people around him. But again and again, he refuses. He hardens his heart. Uh, it's interesting, the parallels, a lot of parallels with the plagues that we see in Egypt and what will take place in the Great Tribulation at the end of time. Uh, one of those is sores on men and women, on beasts, on, on animals. Uh, another is large hail uh, that will wipe out a portion of the population. And that's the seventh plague, the plague of hail. Exodus chapter 9, verse 18. Uh, Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire rained down on earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. 
There was hail and fire flashing continuously in the midst of hail and very heavy hail, such as never been in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. The hail struck down every plant in the field and broke every tree in the field. So the land of Egypt is in utter ruins. There are no more plants or trees left standing. This inevitably leads to starvation. But chapter 9, verse 34, But when Pharaoh saw the rain and hail had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, and he and his servants. So another tragic lesson of heartaches for the hard-hearted. The eighth plague is a plague of locusts. And just without the time, you don't think it can get any worse. Here we go again. Uh, chapter 10, verse 3. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. And this is really striking at the heart of the matter, isn't it? How long will you refuse to humble yourself? Pharaoh wants what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. He knows his decisions are impacting hundreds and thousands of people, but he wants to do things his own way. And this is really true for you and I too, isn't it? We can come to this place where we say, God, I'm going to do things my own way regardless. So I hear you talking. I know what the Bible says, but, but I'm my own boss. And we might not put it in those terms, but that's the way we conduct our lives. Or we can humble ourselves. We can bend our knee and say, God, you're God. I'm not God. Therefore, I'm going to let you call the shots. Whatever you have for me, I'm in, I'm on. I'm trusting those are the good things that you want for me. One's a posture of humility, one's a posture of pride, and the Lord just calls it out. How long will you refuse to humble yourself? For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country that will cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left from the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill their houses, they will fill your houses, all the houses of your servants and the Egyptians, so neither your fathers nor grandfathers ever seen anything like this from the day they came to the earth. Check this out in verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long will this man be a snare? Let the men go so they can serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand Egypt is ruined? So again, these pagan men and women coming to Pharaoh and saying, Hey, stop digging in. Like, like we're, our nations, our, our, our country, our land, it's already in ruin. Like what are you holding on for? There's nothing left. But this is the blindness that comes from having a hard heart. You no longer see what's obvious to everyone else. Come blind to what everyone else knows is best. Have you ever known anyone like that? Their hearts are hard and they become bitter, angry, cynical. They don't want to hear the truth. They can't see the truth. They've lost touch with reality of how bad things actually are. But the rejection of God just leads to more blindness. And that's where Pharaoh's at. One thing that happens to a person who's hardened their heart is they lose a sense of reality. Now, this plague of locusts, it would be very common in the Near East. It's still common, actually, today in, in that region of the world. We've got a couple of pictures here. This is locusts uh, covering a, a plant or a, a limb of a tree. As you can see, you can't really see any of it. That's what the Lord's saying to Pharaoh. If you, if you refuse to let my people go, this is going to happen to all the land. And that's exactly what, what does happen. We got another picture here, these swarms of, of locusts. This is actually in the Sudan. 
But you might find it interesting that locusts consume their weight each day. And so you think about how much you weigh. Dads, that's how much steak you get to eat today. So you're like 200 pounds of steak coming your way for lunch. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. But locusts eat their weight every day. Uh, locust swarms have been known to cover 400 square miles with one square mile containing one million locusts. Chapter 10, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts so that they may come up into the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land that the hail has left. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit and the trees that the hail had left. Not one green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. This is total devastation. Verse 16, then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, check this out. I have sinned against the Lord and, and against your God and I have sinned against you. Now, therefore, forgive me my sins. Only please this once. Plead with the Lord for me and remove this death from me. This is very instructive for us because Pharaoh almost gets it right. So many people land here, and this is my concern for some of you. You, you get half of it right. You've acknowledged, hey, I've sinned. I've blown it. God, forgive me. But we miss the second part of salvation. There has to be a turning. The Bible calls it repentance where we say, hey, we acknowledge our sin. I've blown it. But there's a turning that says, hey, I'm no longer going to call the shots. I'm no longer going to do things my own way. I'm turning to you, God. Now you have your way in me. Whatever you want from me, I'm in. Listen, this is where the abundant life is found. This is where the, the, the good life is found. This is where, 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 where grace upon grace is found. Pharaoh gets half of it. He acknowledges his sin, but he's not willing to turn. Goes on to say, so he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind uh, into a strong west wind. And it lifted the locusts and drove them out into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in the country of Egypt. Check this out. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not turn. He did not let the people go out of Israel. Ninth and final plague we're going to look at today. We're going to talk about the tenth plague uh, next week. Um, I, I, it's probably the most prolific passage in all of the Old Testament, what we'll be studying next week, maybe apart from creation. Uh, but I encourage you, if you can, be back next week. It's going to be, uh, we're going to see the Lord's deliverance. It's going to, be, it's going to be awesome. But the ninth plague, darkness. Uh, chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. Now, because it says a darkness that can be felt, some scholars believe this is a severe dust storm. Uh, other scholars believe this is just supernatural darkness. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch blackness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from their place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the people go. He consistently rejects God's prompting. He rejects God's very clear direction. And it results in a hard heart. And this is shocking. And honestly, it's somewhat terrifying to think that a person who rejects God's clear commands over and over again can get to this place where no matter what the Lord does, no matter what they experience in life, their heart just remains hard to God's presence. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, has that happened to me? Uh, I would just say if you feel like God's speaking to you, then no. Uh, God, God's desires relationship with you and maybe you've blown it maybe you've blown it as recently as this morning uh, I say you come to a safe place where God's radical grace is still present uh, 
where God is graciously still reaching out to people and he's just inviting you to, to turn to him. But this should be sobering, especially for us on Father's Day, because as we're going to see next week, Pharaoh's hard heart and his decision to continue to harden his heart over time, even when God says, hey, if you don't let my people go, it's going to cost you what you value the most in life. It's going to impact your firstborn son, not only the prince of Egypt, but every firstborn male in all of Egypt. And Pharaoh has seen that God keeps his word. Pharaoh has seen what God has done to the land of Egypt. But pride still fills his heart, and he chooses not to listen. Four closing observations. What do we do with a message like this? Um, the first is this. I think just a reminder, encourage you, God will do whatever it takes to rescue his people. All these plagues have one purpose in mind, let my people go. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a child of God, we find great encouragement in the fact that no matter what you're going through, no matter what the season of life may usher it in for you, God is on a rescue mission for you. He'll do whatever it takes. Second observation is that before God ever judges, he warns. We see that consistently throughout the plagues. Consistently, God says, let my people go. Very clear directive. There's no question about it. There's not a lot of ambiguity here. It, you either say yes to that or no to that. God warns over and over again. For the believer, that looks like discipline. For the non-believer, it looks like judgment. He's warning. And perhaps for some of you, God's been speaking to you about a particular area of your life for a while. And this is just a reminder, take that very seriously, how you respond. Third observation, ignoring God's warning will result in spiritual blindness. There's a very real and inherent danger of having God speak to you. And you say, I'm not going to do anything about it. The danger is you lose your ability to perceive reality. You lose your ability to see how bad things really are. You lose the ability to see how you're destroying relationships that are the most important around you. And people get to a place where they're hurting people they love, but they're just blinded to that reality. And so they make excuses. It's everyone else's fault. It's never their fault. But it all started because they were ignoring the warning signs all along the way. Fourth, rejecting God's warning ultimately leads to judgment. Judgment for the non-believer, discipline for the believer. Some of you have been warned several times, and so God's brought you to a place of love with a desire, really, my heart's just to help. Say, this is what God's word says. Let's be very serious about when he speaks. As you can see, the plagues accelerate. Maybe some of you here, you've you've had some things going on in your life. You're like, God, are you trying to get my attention? And if you're not close to the Lord, you're not walking with the Lord, then I think the answer to that question is emphatically a resounding yes. God is trying to get your attention because he wants you to turn to him, desires relationship with you, desires for you to talk to him and him to talk to you, desires closeness where you walk with God daily in your life. Ultimately, there is judgment. The Bible says this, there's appointed once a man to die. After that, the judgment. All of us have that appointment. But for believers, your appointment, judgment, won't be to create a long list of everything you've done wrong. 
but rather to highlight how we did things right, covered by the grace and mercy of God and ultimately leads to rewards in heaven. But for the non-believer, there will be no question about what verdict should be rendered over your life. There will be a list. Revelation says the books will be open. It's an accounting term, a document of everything you ever did. And when you stand on that day, there will be no outlet. That's why the gospel is crucial. That's why the cross is essential to our message, because there is a way out. You don't have to face judgment day with fear, because Jesus, God, on this rescue mission, does the unthinkable. Because he desires to rescue you, because he loves you so much, he sent himself, sent, sent Jesus to earth, lived a perfect life, died a brutal death, so that you can have your sins erased. You can experience freedom from sin. The way you take hold of that is by faith, believing that Jesus died on the cross, and on that cross, your shame, your guilt, your sin was lifted off of your shoulders and was laid on him. And as he's hanging there, the great I am says, it's finished. In other words, account balance is brought to zero, books erased, you can live in freedom. But just like Pharaoh, you have a choice. You can say, yeah, God, I hear that, I accept that. That leads to freedom, salvation, God's best. Or you have another choice today. Keep living life on your own terms. Keep doing things the way that you want, and that's your choice. I'm just telling you, as a warning based on the authority of God's word, there will come a day of judgment. The Bible says it's a very fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Today you can make a choice. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, how it guides us. Sometimes, God, it shocks us actually back into alignment with what you desire for our life. Today, if you're here in this room and you're a believer and you know God's been speaking to you about a particular area of your life that is out of alignment with God's word, this is your opportunity to not only confess that to God, but to make a decision to say, I'm going to turn. Pharaoh got half of it right. Pharaoh confessed his sin, but Pharaoh didn't change his behavior. If God's been speaking to you about a habit or area of your life, this is your moment to confess your sin and experience forgiveness. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. You don't have to carry guilt from that. But the opportunity ahead of you is to lean on the Holy Spirit's power to turn in that area of your life and experience freedom. So if you're a follower of Jesus and God's been speaking to you in an area of your life, now's the time to confess it. Now's the time to draw a line in the sand. I'm not going to be the same. If you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus and surrendered your life to him and made Jesus the Lord of your life, then this is your opportunity for that as well. Paul says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that you can be saved. Saved from what? Well, saved from judgment, for one. But saved from another day without having a real relationship with the creator of the universe. He loves you that much. He wants to know you. He desires for you to know him. So if that's where you are, I invite you to say a prayer with me like this and just confess to God. Say, God, I realize I've blown it. I've made some mistakes. I've sinned against you. And I've sinned against other people. But God, I pray you'd forgive me today. I believe that Jesus not only died on the cross, 
But I believe in that moment, he paid the penalty for my sin and my shame. But I believe it didn't just end there. God, I believe you rose again. And Jesus, because you're alive, today I'm giving my life to you. Come alive in my heart. Help me to understand scripture and help me to apply it to my life. You say this to God. Say, God, today I commit my life to you. I surrender. That's your prayer as you continue in a posture of prayer. I'd love to pray for you. Before we get out of here, if that was you, just slip up your hand. Let me know who I'm praying for. Thanks. Thanks. Yep. Thanks. Anybody else? Yeah, thanks. God, you see people reaching out to you. God, I pray right now they'd experience your grace, your forgiveness, God, that they would walk out of here feeling like the weight of the world's lifted off their shoulders. God, that you would free them from condemnation. And God, today they'd walk in freedom, not because any of us deserve it, but God, because you're that good. And your son purchased that for us on the cross. So God, I pray your blessing on them. I pray, God, they wouldn't just confess their sin, but God, they'd be men and women here in this room that turn to you and say, God, here's my life. Whatever you want, I'm in, I'm on. My life is yours. Pray your blessing on them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's give it up for those people that made that spiritual commitment today. That's awesome.